0: Are here. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Haggai. Anybody know where that is? Go to Matthew and flick back a few pages. Or use the table of contents. Alright, so last week I was thinking, you know, spring break, people scatter, some people go on vacation, go visit family. We had a number of people go on mission trips. We had a team go to Costa Rica, you can see there. Strapping young men and women. We had a group in Honduras working with a children's home. We had a small team in Nicaragua working with a a church called El Puente. Uh, If you know someone who went on a trip, I'd encourage you to follow up with them. All the kids are jumping back into school tomorrow. The adults will be jumping back into work. Lots of stuff happens in a week. and uh, Talking will help people process. It'll help the stuff that the Lord did stick in their heart, so don't just ask how their trip went. They're going to say it was good. What's, what was your favorite thing? What's primary memory? What was the most difficult thing? What's one thing that you think will be different in your life now that you've gone? Those types of questions will help them process uh, what God has been doing in them, and hopefully there'll be some impact moving forward. All of you who uh, give regularly, you helped all of those people go. The church subsidizes people who go on these trips, so thank y'all for giving and helping everybody uh, go last week. I also went on a trip. I went to go see these guys in Fethiye, Turkey, Josh and Mandy Wheeler, their daughter Hava. They're some of our missionaries. You can see they're living there in a, just a slum of a place on the Mediterranean Sea. It's wonderful where they live. They're doing great work over there. And then I went from Turkey to this Siem Reap, Cambodia. Uh, Matt and Katie Nelson and their daughter Hope are also some of our own and they're serving over there. Uh, I did nine flights, 21,000 miles in 11 days, seven airports. I did two of them twice, six cities, six time zones, 10 nights in seven different beds. Three of those beds were on airplanes, but one of them was in business class, and that is wonderful. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever done that. It was, that was my one treat after everything else, and i didn't I just kept going? I was like, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the next plane. So, uh, I ate a lot of squishy things. I'm a solid or a liquid guy, nothing in between. Turkey was tough for me. Everything's got yogurt in it. I don't think yogurt will be in the kingdom of heaven. That's called a village breakfast. Each village is different. Whatever they grow, that's what they serve and some of you were salivating that's so fresh and farm to table i just wanted a box of lucky charms there's all kinds of stuff on that i knew i was in trouble when i showed up and mandy said you like to try new food right and i was like yeah come on whatever i had chickpeas and it was kind of downhill from there then over there you see my cambodian food it was okay lots of sauces everything has sauce on it but it was fine um I rode an elephant around a temple. That's not me. It was else, but I was on an elephant, wrote riding around a Buddhist temple. Josh and Mandy's house, my window backed up to a mosque, so I heard the call to prayer every morning at 5, which was difficult, but then I went and stayed at Matt and Katie's, and their house backs up to a crocodile farm, of all things, so I'm not sure which one of those you would rather have. As a neighbor, crocodiles or a mosque. But the whole thing was really good. And so these are our missionaries. They wanted me to pass on to you all how much they appreciate your support. Again, if you give, um, if you put any money in the bucket, a percentage of that goes to support both of these families. We support them every month. They're so thankful for your financial support, for your prayer, for your encouragement. It meant a lot to them that you all sent me and let me go and take one business class flight. That meant a lot to me. And uh, they were very appreciative. They're doing really good work. They're both committed to seeing the Lord work in their cities. Turkey is 99.8% Muslim. Cambodia is about uh, 97% Buddhist. There's four-tenths of a percent of the people in Cambodia are Christians. So these are places where there's not a lot of churches. The, the oldest believer, kind of the oldest person in the Lord I met was 19 years. That was it. It was a lady in... Turkey, who had come to the Lord through YWAM, and she's been a Christian 19 years, and I didn't meet anybody else in either city that was double digits. The church is very young in both of those places, and both of those guys, both of those families are attempting to help encourage a local church. It's just, it's so young. Um, Josh and a friend friend of his from Kansas, they're planting a church uh, for Turks. It's a Turkish church speaking church. They probably have 15 or 20 Turkish Christians, and there's probably another 20 or 25 people who are coming around who are Muslims of some degree, who are interested in the Lord. We, his translator is a great story. Uh, this lady who's helping Josh and Mandy learn Turkish. they, Josh and Mandy, they can get around. They're conversational. They want to get better at having heart conversations with people, which is a pretty big step at language-wise, to be able to talk about faith and matters of the heart. And so, Josh and Mandy are meeting with this lady and she's a Muslim and Josh says, this is what I want to do. And she says, how do you want to how do you want to learn those things? And she says, and he says, well, why don't you read the Gospels and then we can talk about them? And she says, "Okay." And when I was there, she'd already read Luke and she'd read Mark and she just finished Matthew. And she has never read. She's blown away. She's going, is this real? Is this guy for real? Do you really, all you have, she's saying, what do I have to do? All, and Josh says, you just have to ask. And she's like, that can't be true. All I have to do is ask. And he says, like, that's, that's all you have to do. And she says, okay, I get it that he'll forgive me of what I've done. But what about what I do after I've said yes? What does he do about those things? And she's like, and Josh said, he forgives that stuff too and she's going no way it can't be she's just reading the bible that i think about us and how inoculated we are to the power of the gospels to the power of the bible but for her she's never read it she's never she's a muslim she's never read the quran she's never read the bible and she's experiencing jesus for the first time through matthew and mark and luke and she invites us back over to her house for dinner and the next thing she's supposed to read is John, and she's excited, but she says to Josh, she says, I'm not going to be ready this week. I've got to prepare myself before I read, because you told me that this one's big. There's This one's different than the others, and I've got to make sure I'm ready. She's just eating this up. And again, there's 20 or 25 people who are in various states of exploring Christianity. They're doing really good work, and you're helping them do that. Matt and Katie are in a different context, and Cambodia, they've decided that their family and their home is going to be their primary ministry vehicle. They've resigned from some jobs that they had in the city. And we just, we went around and and they're just collecting people, inviting people over for dinner, having conversations. We had a long conversation with a Buddhist husband and father who's going, I don't know, I want to be good, I don't know how to be good. And I want my, he said, me and my wife, we want to be a ferry that gets our kids from this side of the river to the next. And we don't know how to do that. And Matt's able to say, here it is, in Kamai, the language, he's learned the language as well, and he's able to talk to this guy about Jesus and how he's the only one who's good and he can help this guy and how he can help him as a father and, As a husband, and Matt invites him over to his house, and and their family are probably going to go. And there's there's stuff happening in these places where there's not much of a Christian presence at all. And y'all are a part of that. That may seem so remote. It is so far away from where I live and where you live. But these guys are an extension of our church. They consider us their family. And in so many ways, you're helping them do that work. So they wanted me to pass on their thanks to you. So if you want more info, you can check with me and I can help you connect with those guys. But in general, they just wanted to say thank y'all so much. I was coming back and I was trying to think about short-term trips. We had 70, I don't know how many people were out this week, 50 people or whatever were out. uh, Plus other, many of y'all were scattered in different places. And one of the things that these short-term mission trips do for me is they help me uh, refocus on priorities. And I think no matter who you talk to, if they're 14 or 15, or if they're 40, if they've gone on one trip, or 10, no matter where they are in the world, one of the things being out of here does is it gives perspective on what actually matters. You're not in your office, you're not in your regular routine, and I think being on a trip, one of the greatest benefits is that, again, it helps bring perspective, and that's what I want us to talk about a little bit today. I'm going to talk fast, um, so try to stay with me. I'm going to use one story from Ezra and from Haggai to try to illustrate this idea of what does it look like for us to be a sign of God's presence in our city. So that's kind of the big idea. What does it look like for us to be a sign of God's presence in our city? And another way you can think about that, if that's a bit too nebulous, Stephen Covey, some of you know him, you've read his books. He has this, one of his ideas, one of his concepts is you put the big rocks in first. This is a video that's playing behind me. It doesn't have any sound, and you can see the the concept there. So there are things that are really important and there are things that are less important. The big rocks are what are really important. If you don't put the big rocks in first, then there's not going to be room. If you will put the big rocks in first, if you'll put your energy into the most important two or three things, then there's room for the others. He uses it as a time management technique. I think of it much more in terms of a kind of a life uh, picture. What what am I investing in? What am I giving my best to? Am I giving my best energy, effort, time, money, whatever, to the things that are most important? Or am I just running after things that are urgent and the important things get my leftovers, which is really not very much? So whichever one of those resonates with you most, you can either be thinking about big rocks or you can think about being a sign. They're really the same thing. It's just two different ways of approaching it. So. In 605 B.C., long time ago, through 586 B.C., uh, the Jews are getting exiled from their land, from the land of Judah, and it's all punishment. They've been disobedient, 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 and finally God puts them in timeout. Seventy years, you guys have to leave the land. And so they get exiled, but before they go, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, in 70 years, I'm going to bring them back. So it's just a timeout. It's a 70-year timeout. It happens, the temple's destroyed, the walls of the city are destroyed, all of the Jews, most of them at least, are exiled. And then in 539 BC, there's a new empire, the Babylonians were the ones that exiled the Jews, and now the Persians are the king of the hill, and there's a a king named Cyrus, and God stirs his heart, this is Ezra 1, God stirs his heart to bring the Jews back. This is unprecedented. So the reason you would, if you were a conquering king, the reason you would exile a people is to dilute their influence. You don't want them talking to each other. You don't want them forming any kind of coup. You don't want them doing any of that. And so you just spread them all over the place. The last thing you want to do is reconcentrate them because you're setting up potential trouble for yourself. But Cyrus does this. He's not A Jew, he's not a worshiper of God, but God stirs his heart to say, let's rebuild the temple. And any of you Jews that want to go back to your homeland, y'all can do it. That's the beginning of Ezra, this miraculous thing that God does in the heart of a pagan king. 50,000 Jews return and they start, they're obedient. They build the altar. That's the first thing they do. And there's this huge celebration after they build the altar. And then they start working on the foundation of the temple. And things are going well. But as they get the foundations of the temple laid, the, the the foreigners who've moved in, so you know they have this land and all of the inhabitants have been exiled. And so people don't just leave the land empty. The guys who have moved in behind the Jews say they're enemies. And they say, hey, why don't you let us help rebuild the temple? And they say, no you're not part of us you can't do that and so then they start to try to discourage and to intimidate and so they discourage and they intimidate they discourage and intimidate and in chapter Ezra chapter 4 verse 24 we read that the work of the house of god in Jerusalem came to a standstill until the second year of this reign of Darius so god has stirred the heart of a pagan king 50,000 people have responded they've built the altar they've laid the foundation and then they get discouraged, and then they get intimidated. They actually get apathetic, and they don't do any work for about 16 years. The temple is just sitting there with just the altar and just the foundation laid. They quit working, multiple reasons, for 16 years, and that's when Haggai steps into the picture. So Haggai, it comes up, he's, very, uh, he's only got a, his career last for four months, and he preaches four sermons. That's what he does. Very pivotal, though, in the life. Of the Jewish people. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, so this is about 520 BC, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, who was the governor of Judah, so he's the political leader, and to Joshua, the high priest, the religious leader. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. So that's what the people are saying. Remember, God stirred Cyrus, God's initiative. He stirred Cyrus to say, Let's rebuild the temple. So, in God's mind, is it time for his house to be rebuilt? Yes. The people are saying, No. The word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? You see the contrast. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why did I do this, declares the Lord? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have the mountains on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. So you hear what God is saying. Y'all have been focused on your own house. You've neglected my house, and so I've frustrated your life. Nothing is working for you. There's a drought. There's a famine. You're putting money in purses with holes in it. Nothing is, I'm frustrating everything about your life because you're neglecting what I sent you back to do. Then Zerubbabel, Joshua, and their whole remnant obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Zechariah was also working during this time, and he says the people repented. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people, I'm with you. Declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and the spirit of Joshua and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord their God on the 24th day of the sixth month. So they repent and they get to work on the temple. It takes them about three and a half years to finish. What I want us to focus on is that pivotal point when Haggai comes in. God has said, This is what I want you to do. I want you to rebuild this house. Yes, you face some opposition. You're discouraged, you've been intimidated, but honestly, what Haggai gets on to them for is they is apathy. You guys have focused on your house and not mine, and so I'm um, he goes after them for it. I've frustrated your life to try to get your attention. It wasn't working. I've sent this prophet to explain things to you. He's put, he's connecting all the dots. Why is our life so hard? Why are things so frustrating and difficult? Haggai says the reason is because you're disobedient. You're saying it's not time for the Lord's house to, rebe- to be rebuilt. He would beg to differ. The reason he sent you back was to do that. So think back this idea. What does it look like for you to focus on the big rocks? Theirs is build this temple. A temple, in the Old Testament, the temple was the sign of God's presence in the land. It's this physical representation of God, quote, living in the land. He dwells in the temple. We know he doesn't. He's not contained in a building. But in the Old Testament, you'll see these times where the, the cloud of God's presence fills the temple. It's a picture of God living there, in quotes. And so the temple's been destroyed. And he says, you've got to build it back because everybody needs to know, not just y'all, but all these other nations need to know this is still mine. This is the land that I promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to their sons and their sons and their sons and their sons. It's the promised land. And I've I've, 70 years, I haven't dwelled there. And that time is up. And so you need to build the temple as a sign that I'm back. And you're not doing it. You're building your own houses. That's a sign of your presence in the land. I need you to build mine. That's a sign of my presence in the land. Now, we live in the New Testament times. God doesn't live in a building. He doesn't care about the number of church buildings we have. In 1 Corinthians, we read that we're a temple of the Lord, of the Holy Spirit, individually and collectively. If you're a follower of Jesus and you are personally are a temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple of God, and collectively, we are the same. We are also a temple of the Holy Spirit, a temple of God. We are his sign in the land. Just like this physical structure was a sign in the land of Judah, that God dwelled there, you and us are a sign that God dwells here. Not in this room, in this city. We're the sign. And what he's saying to us is live that way. In Ezra, what we see is people who've they've quit. They're focusing on building their life in Jerusalem and they need to. There's nothing there. They gotta have a place to sleep. And so they got They they need a house and they've gotta plant crops because they gotta eat. And they all of those things have to happen. And God is not criticizing them. He's not frustrating them because they're doing those things. He's frustrating them because they're doing those things to the neglect of the big thing, the most important thing, the primary thing, which is rebuilding his house first. He needs he wants everybody to know I'm back. There's a sign of my presence here. There's not. There's only a sign of y'all's presence here. This is not good. And so he would say the same thing to us. Easy for us to get focused on building our life, building our careers, building our families, figuring out where we want to live and setting up shop there. All of those things have to happen, and they're all good, and they're all right, and they're all secondary. None of those things are big rocks. Because they all burn. None of those things are big rocks. The big rock, the big rocks are we are to be a sign of his presence in our city. He wants to conform us into the image of Jesus so that when people look at us, they see Jesus. And they say, oh, God is alive and he lives here because I can see him in you. And so he, he's not looking to make you miserable. But if he has to choose between your character and your comfort, easy choice for him all day long. It's character all day long. Just the way it shakes out. A lot of times it's his shaping of our character requires it's painful for us. It's sandpaper. Nobody likes having sandpaper rubbed on their skin and it's not any better when it's rubbed on your heart. But it's the means to this end. the, The good works that he's created for you to do. He wants to use you to establish his kingdom in this city. You don't bring the kingdom. That's his job. It's his kingdom, not yours. But he wants to work through you to do that. That's a big rock. More important than your career is the establishment of his kingdom. Your career is important. It's just not primary. Your family is important. It's just not primary. Building a life, that's great. It's just not primary. He's not saying to these guys, you can't build a house. He's just saying, you got to build mine first. Seek first the kingdom, then everything you need will be given to you. That's Matthew 6.33. All the stuff that you need will be given to you as well. But you've got to seek first the kingdom. And so for us sitting here today, that's the question. Very difficult, I think, to follow that through long term, but that's the question on the front end. Would you say, yeah, I'm living as a sign? When people look at me, when people look at my life, they can say, yes, God is active and he is alive and he is in this city. When people look at my life, what I say, yeah, I'm, I, the big rocks are going in first. However, you're defining those things. I gave you the generals, your character and your lifestyle, being conformed to the image of Jesus and doing the good works He's created you to do. But there's specific things for each of you. Do you know what those one or two or three things are? And are you wrapping your life around them? Matt and Katie Nelson say, hey, it's hospitality for us. And so they open up their home and they invite people in regularly. That may be one of the things for you. That may be one of the big rocks. So are you doing that? Are you wrapping your life around that? Are you too busy or whatever those things are that get in the way? God's not, don't, this isn't pressure, it's just reality. He wasn't impressed with the fact that they were intimidated by people who were trying to discourage them or scare them, That's, those aren't excuses for disobedience. Those is the reality of the circumstance, but it's not an excuse for disobedience. You're gonna, you live in a culture that will try to discourage you from living as a son. You live in a culture that will try to discourage you from putting the big rocks in first. You, you have an enemy who will try to intimidate you and scare you into not living as a sign, into not focusing on important things. He's going to tell you you're going to get sued or you're going to lose the contract or whatever those things are. Absolutely, that stuff happens for us. Easy, so easy for us to live a distracted life. Let's just pray. I want you to I'm going to ask the Lord to speak to us. So here's what I want you thinking about. Again, I don't want you to hear... pressure. You may even want to think about, Is am I I frustrated in some area of my life? Could it be that God, maybe not, but could it be God's trying to get your attention? Just ask him. He may say, nope, that's not me. Then you can move on. If you're married, eventually you need to talk about these things, but now I would like you to focus on it individually, and you all can talk about it after. Two questions, that just pick one, whichever one resonates with you the most. The first question, God, what does it look like for me to be a sign in the place where you've planted me? very, very, very small percentage of people will be called to move to another country. Most of you, you're right where God wants you to be. He's planted you here in Cobb County, and he's not moving you. Pick one area of your life. Don't think about the whole thing. Your office, your neighborhood, your school, the organizations that you're a part of. Just think of one. God, what does it look like for me to be a sign? your presence in this city. You may like the big rock question better. God, what does it look like for me to be faithful to the one or the two or the three things that you've said are foundational in my life? And if you would go, I don't have a clue what's supposed to be foundational in my life, then ask him and he'll tell you. Again, it's not going to be ten, it's going to be two or three. Hospitality, ministry to the poor, generosity. What's underlying both of those things is this idea that says we want God to set the standard for what a productive day is. Many of us, we don't know. And so we just do a whole bunch of stuff and hope something was right. We want God to be the plumb line, the measuring stick. We want him to define success. And if you'll let him define success for you. That's those questions, God. What does it look like for me to be a sign? What does it look like for me to be faithful to the big rocks? What you're saying is, God, what does a successful day for me look like in your estimation? How are you defining success for me? That sets you free from other people and your own expectations. It sets you free from the tyranny of the urgent. It sets you free from overstuffing your schedule gives you the freedom to say yes and to say no and to run hard and to stop. You won't be chasing anything anymore. You'll experience abundant life that Jesus promises you. Because you're letting him define what that abundant life is. So God, my prayer for everyone in the room, for our who are in here God I pray at a young age that they would know what it is to wrap their life around the things that are most important they gotta study and go to practice and all of those things but that's all secondary God I pray you would speak to them about what's primary in their life what are the big rocks you're asking them to focus on what does it look like for them to be a sign on their team or in their school, in their families? God, I pray for our young establishing themselves professionally, establishing themselves relationally. God, I pray that you would be very clear to them. This is what's most important. It's not getting your name on the door. It's not getting the big office. It's not getting the house with a white picket fence God I pray you would speak to them what does it look like to be assigned what are the two or three main things I want you wrapping your life around God for those of us who are in the throes of raising children would you speak to us we got to run carpool we got to put food on the table but those things are not primary would you speak to us what does it look like for us to be assigned that stuff will be added to you. You just get focus on this first. God, for people who are empty nesters and asking, "What's this next chapter for me?" God, would you speak to them? The two or three things. What what is it to be a sign, God? My prayer for everyone in the room. That we would all live abundant lives We wouldn't be chasing our tails We wouldn't be running around like Chickens with our heads cut off We would live with purpose And peace and intentionality There would be fruit Deep joy for everybody Because we're living in the rhythm That you've called us to. We're going after the things that you've said are most important. So God, no guilt, no condemnation for anyone. I pray that we would just hear you inviting us into this life. Autumn's going to sing. I want you to just stay in your chair. You don't need to stand up. I don't want you to sing. I just want you to listen to the Lord grab onto one of those questions, it's a lot so just pick one and ask him. Again, if you're married, do it separate and then y'all can talk about it later, what the, the big rocks are or what does it look like to be a sign. Y'all need to get on the same page, but you can do that, that over lunch. Well, ministry teams here up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you've got going on. If you've got physical need, if you need direction, any of that, if any of the stuff that I've shared, you just want to say, hey, I need some help, I need some clarity. I want to put a stake in the ground and so sharing it with somebody else, we're here for that. I just want to spend a couple of minutes. So Lord, I pray that you would come and you'd speak to us now. That everybody would have a sense of what you're saying to me again, not a heaviness at all, but this excitement, I pray, as you begin to show us a way forward, to put first things make those things primary in our life. In Jesus' name,